Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning to ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem and stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not, that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one could give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a joy and privilege to open up God's word with you here in Acts 25. And I will just uh, continue just reading two more verses, verse 19 and then verse 25 of chapter 25. Verse 19, Festus says to Agrippa, rather they had certain points of dispute with him, Paul, about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. And then verse 25, Festus says, but I have found that Paul has done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we now ask by your Holy Spirit to help us see Jesus from this text. We ask for power from your Holy Spirit, that we would encounter the living Jesus. Lord, we're talking about waves of adversity in our lives as we look at the, the Apostle Paul, a model for us, waves of adversity that come into our lives, and yet the calling for each of us to maintain integrity before you in the midst of our suffering. This, this can only happen through the power of your Holy Spirit, so help us now, I pray, Lord, I think about ministry being that which is about proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what we want. Unsearchable riches for Christ, for us right now. By your spirit, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, as a kid growing up, my family would oftentimes visit San Diego, California. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, so it's a, a drive uh, seven-ish hour drive from Phoenix to go to San Diego, California. And maybe you've had this experience before, but you go to San Diego or any place near a beach, and first thing you do when you wake up 
is you go to the beach and you want to go in the ocean. And as a young kid, you just try everything. You try surfing, you try, my big thing was boogie boarding, if you've ever done that before. And so you swim, you boogie board, you do whatever it is to have fun. And at the beginning of the day, you feel confident, you're having fun, you're enjoying the sunshine, you're surfing, you're boogie boarding, you're body surfing, you're swimming, you're doing whatever it is that you wanna do in the ocean. You're having a great time until a wave comes that crashes on you that you're not expecting. It's a bit too much to handle, right? And you go under. It's happened to me. I remember I was boogie boarding and the wave came and it took me off my boogie board and I tumbled in the wave. And then you try then to start getting up to get above water to breathe. And then the second wave comes and crashes down. And then you're still scrambling for breath. At this point, you're panicking because you didn't have a chance to take a breath before the first wave came. The second wave has now come. Then the third wave, crash. And the fourth wave, crash. Now, good thing is I was able to get above water and get to the shore and, and find my breath. But in life, Parkview, sometimes it feels like God sends wave after wave of suffering and adversity into our lives. And not just one wave, crash. But another wave, and then the third wave, and it's hard in this life, in this broken world, with hearts like ours, in a world as crazy and as twisted by sin as our world is, to catch our breath. In fact, this is one of the main themes throughout the whole of the Bible. If you read the Psalms, there's a whole category of Psalms called Lament Psalms. One of the most popular of them is Psalm 42 where here's a faithful believer in the Lord who's lamenting the injustice and suffering around them and they cry out and they say, deep calls to deep, O Lord, at the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. You see, what it's like to be a Christian in this world is like this. It's not just that you have personal chronic illness, But at the very same time, your kids are struggling at school. It's not just that you have problems in your marriage, that's difficult enough, but then your boss at work seems to make it their life's goal to make your job miserable. It's not just financial problems that you have, but also the haunting depression that's suffocating your joy every day and makes you feel like life is certainly not worth living. It's not just that we live in a culture around us that seems lost in immorality and idolatry and injustice, but there's also just the wicked evil of another school shooting and the natural disasters of another tornado and windstorm hitting our community. Crash, 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 wave upon wave. Lord, it is your breakers and your waves that keep crashing over me. Parker, that's what it feels like to be a Christian. For many of us in this room this morning, that's our normal everyday life. It's not just one area of suffering, but multiple waves of suffering. And what we're tempted to think when the wave comes and the second wave comes and the third wave comes is that this suffering is a waste 
because it's hindering us from God's full purpose in our life. And it's, it's blocking us from actually Christ fulfilling his purpose through us. But the book of Acts as a whole, in fact, the whole Bible as a whole, and specifically Acts 25 is in the Bible to reassure us that that's not true. When wave after wave after wave of suffering enters into your life, Parkview Church, it is not Jesus pushing pause on the overall trajectory of his plan for your life. It's actually Jesus taking you deeper into fulfilling his plans and desires for your good and for his glory. Friends, all we have to do is just think about what's happening in the life of Paul. What we've seen, especially starting in chapter 21, is wave after wave of adversity for Paul, right? We'll be focusing on Acts 25 in a moment, but I just want us to understand the broader context of what's been happening to Paul throughout these past several chapters. In Acts 9, after Paul becomes a Christian, Jesus says this, Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel, verse 16 of chapter 9, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so the two things, the two strands in Paul's life that Jesus weaves throughout the rest of Acts from that point forward is the strand of suffering and adversity that Paul faces basically in every chapter. But then the strand of Paul's integrity as he remains faithful to the Lord into the mission that the Lord Jesus has called him. And that, that weaving of those two themes, Paul's adversity and suffering, and that yet Paul's integrity, this is what Jesus is weaving together and becomes kind of at to a head at a point here in chapter 25. I mean, just think about if you think of Paul starting in chapter 21, it's not just that the Jewish mob accuses him falsely, that Paul is opposed to the Jewish people, that Paul is opposed to the law, that he's opposed to the temple. It's not just that wave that crashes on Paul, that false accusation, but then another wave comes of further false accusation as Paul stands trial before the Jewish leaders in, in Acts 23. But not just those two waves, but then another wave in Acts 23 of the plot by the Jews to have Paul killed. And then not just those three waves, but then the, a fourth wave of his third trial before Roman governor Felix. Foolish, wicked Felix, who at the end of chapter 24, we read this, that Felix keeps Paul in prison for two reasons. One, because Felix thought he could get some money from Paul. And two, because Felix was wanting to do a favor for the Jews. So here is Paul. Almost like, almost like a helpless little pawn in the political games of the Jewish and Roman leaders of the first century. Adversity, wave after wave in Paul's life. And yet, remember Acts 9, integrity, that Paul is to remain faithful to the mission that Jesus has called him to, which is to proclaim his name and saving grace in his name, to the nations. And this is what I want us to understand is that this is Jesus's plan from the start. At no point, brothers and sisters, please listen to me clearly. 
is the adversity in your life plan B for the Lord Jesus Christ? But it actually is the thread that he is weaving in your life as you maintain faithful integrity, not perfection, but integrity, a faithful direction of trust in Jesus and step-by-step integrity of living for the Lord Jesus, of honoring him with your life, of demonstrating the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and compassion and humility to all those around you, no matter how they're treating you. To maintain integrity is part of the way Jesus is working in your life in the midst of adversity. And I'll prove this to you through Acts 25. These two threads, adversity and integrity, are the main themes of Acts 25. We're not going to go scene by scene through the whole thing, but I want you just to notice the main chunks of this passage, starting in uh, verses 1 to 12. Verse 3, the Jews are asking, who, these same Jews, who asked Felix for a favor, They now ask, verse three, Festus, who's the new governor, taking over Felix. He ends his reign. Festus comes into power. And and they, these Jews, they ask Festus for a favor, verse three, chapter 25, against Paul, that Festus would summon Paul to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill Paul along the way. Adversity. There's that thread again. Then verses four to six, it seems that Festus will follow good judicial procedure. By letting the Jewish men of authority, verse 5, letting the Jews come down and then bring charges against Paul there in Caesarea. So then here we are, verse 7, the Jews now are bringing charges against Paul before Festus. But look at carefully at verse 7. Read carefully with me. It says that they are not able to prove these charges against Paul. And then Luke Again, underlying Paul's integrity in verse 8, says that Paul now makes a defense. Paul defends himself and says, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. So what Paul's doing here is saying, not only have I remained loyal as a Christian to the deepest intention of the Jewish people, because Christ is the one who fulfills all the hopes and longings of the Jewish people, but also, I'm not against Caesar. I've committed no offense. I, says Paul, I've been loyal to keep the peace as a Roman citizen. I, says Paul, have remained and maintained my integrity before God and before all people. Case closed. This is an easy one for Festus. It should be. It's clear. Paul is innocent. They can't bring charges against him. And Festus can clearly see his innocence at this point. And so what we expect at this point in the story is that Festus will do what every political leader throughout history ought to do, which is to act with integrity and morality and to promote justice and good character within the citizens that they are to lead. Yet what do we see with Festus? Verse 9, but Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor, says to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Thus, of course, leading to Paul's eventual death. So Festus, we see, according to verse nine, is politically motivated by his lust to gain favor and approval of the Jewish people, of those that he is called to lead. 
And we see this injustice further explained in the next major scene, verses 13 to 27. Festus before Agrippa, explaining Paul's case. But what we see are two things. Verse 18, Festus actually knows that Paul's innocent. Verse 18, he says, the Jewish accusers brought no charge of the evils I supposed. And then if you look down with me at verse 15, Festus says, I found that he had done nothing deserving death. But Festus acts before Agrippa as if he's confused on what to do with Paul, which is puzzling because he knows Paul's innocent. But then in verses 26 and 27, he makes this comment that he doesn't know what charges to place against Paul to send him to Rome. Well, there are no charges against Paul to send him to Rome because he is innocent and Festus should know that and Festus should do whatever he can do to set Paul free. And then furthermore, we see more adversity with Paul in verse 23 as King Agrippa, acting like a political celebrity, enters into the audience hall with his pomp and pride along with all the other celebrity leaders of the city. And what's happening here is this, right? They're using Paul, God's man of integrity, as a weak, lonely spectacle of Roman dominance. And this is the tragedy. This is the adversity that Paul, as a faithful Christian, faces. Festus and Agrippa show the reality of adversity in this broken, sin-perverted world. That what happens oftentimes, sadly, tragically, in this world of ours, is that human leaders in politics refusing to act justly and with integrity because they're so caught up in their own self-exalting lust for power, using others in a political game of maintaining good approval ratings of those they lead. And dear friends, as your pastor, as a pastor here in a church in America that right now is so unbelievably politically divided, I would ask gently, carefully, that we might think very carefully about the foolishness of the political chaos revealed in Acts 22 all the way to Acts 25 against Paul, a faithful Christian, these leaders established who should have been leading with integrity and justice, that we as Christian citizens first and foremost of heaven and of the Lord Jesus, we should think prayerfully and wisely about the sorts of leaders we exalt into public office, either on the left or on the right. Because for Paul... It is wave after wave of adversity that continues. And just like the Jewish leaders in chapters 21 to 23, just like Felix in chapter 24, now Festus and Agrippa, they know Paul's innocence, but they're not willing to do anything about it because they're not themselves willing to walk with integrity and character. That's a tragedy. And that's the sort of adversity that we as Christians can face in this world, but what's amazing is as this story uh, unfolds and as, as we've been watching Paul carefully in chapters 21 to 25, 
Paul doesn't cave in. He doesn't capitulate. He doesn't admit to wrongdoing. Verse 10, right? It says that Paul says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried to the Jews. I have done no wrong as you yourselves know very well. It's, it's public fact, Paul is saying. I've maintained my integrity before the Lord. And this is a note here that's really important for us as Christians, that he upholds his right as a citizen, right? Paul, in verse 11, then appeals to, uh, to Caesar because he knows that he is walking in integrity and he's done nothing wrong. And Paul appeals to the highest court of law to make sure that justice is done for him. And this is important for us. We do live in a time and place in our society that it is right and good for us as Christians to uphold our rights so that we might maintain a witness for Christ. This is not the main point of this passage, certainly, but it is a point that needs to be clarified as John Calvin, the great 16th century theologian, once said, that Christ's servants must defend themselves before men when the opportunity arises. And so we can express our and look for our First Amendment rights, especially, for example, this is one example, not the only example, but currently our culture, right, with its understanding of sexuality and gender being very different from what is clearly taught from Scripture and also what's been held by Christians for thousands of years. And as we in our workplaces or whatever environment it is, as we seek to live faithfully to Jesus, we may come under persecution and attack and adversity. And one aspect not the only, hear me, but one aspect of our faithfulness to Jesus in maintaining integrity is like Paul to uphold our rights as citizens. We have freedom to do that. But ultimately, it is about maintaining integrity before the Lord. So friends, don't, don't miss the whole point of what Acts 25 is all about. In Acts 25, it shows us a Christian man experiencing yet again more adversity, right? Wave after wave, after wave, crashing down on Paul. And yet, we see the necessity of Christian integrity that is encouraged upon us, exhorted to us after these adversities wash over us. And we've learned that this is part of Jesus' plan from the beginning. That the thread of adversity, but also the thread of integrity weaving together, our Lord Jesus weaves those together to advance his mission in this world. So the question then before us is this, how then, how do you and I maintain our integrity and sanity when normal life for you and me is wave after wave? The problems in marriage, but then financial problems, not just a culture of chaos, but also injustice, and go on and on and on. When wave after wave crashes upon you, brother or sister, how can we respond to keep moving forward? Well, how we respond actually is, is found in a verse that feels like it's unimportant. Verse 19 of chapter 25, where Festus is before Agrippa. He's explaining Paul's situation, and Festus says this, He's trying to explain to Agrippa, what's go- why is all this hubbub around Paul happening? And Festus says, well, the Jews had certain points of dispute with Paul about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. And then Festus goes on and on about different matters. 
in the whole of Acts 25, verse 19, is sort of a side comment, at least from Festus's vantage point, about how Paul and the Jews, they're in debate about some theological dispute about a man named Jesus. Not the most important thing, according to Festus, but it's one of the things, and so on and so forth, and he moves on with his conversation with Agrippa. And to the Romans of Paul's day and to many people in our day, the whole Jesus thing seems like an unimportant controversy for religious people to debate back and forth, but actually has no bearing or consequence in everyday life. That's how verse 19 is approached by Festus. And yet, Paul shows us something different, right? That this certain Jesus who was once dead, but now Paul has seen alive. Jesus is not just a side comment for religious debate. Jesus has changed everything for the Apostle Paul. And Jesus changes everything for you and me. Remember what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 23. That sermon, you remember that Fern preached? Oh my word, it was glory and hallelujah. That sermon was amazing. Paul's been experiencing so far three or four waves of adversity. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 23, the Lord stands by Paul and he says, take courage, Paul, for you will testify about me in Rome. For Paul, Jesus, this certain Jesus that for Festus and other leaders of his day is just a side comment of some particular interesting little theological debate between the Jews and Paul, no big deal. Anyways, let's move to the more important things. That's not what it is for Paul. This Jesus is the one who is sovereignly guiding and directing and weaving his adversity of misintegrity through his life to fulfill his purposes. So to stand firm in integrity, we must remember Christ. Verse 19, this certain Jesus Because it is Jesus who makes all the difference for us when the wave upon wave of adversity is crashing down on us. You know that today is Palm Sunday. You probably know that. We've mentioned that a few times. Friends, this is the week. If there's one week in the whole of the year that's given to us as a gift from our Lord to remember who he is, to think about this certain Jesus, it's Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, but we are going to follow Jesus, so to speak, this week. As he goes step by step deeper into suffering, step by step deeper into the ocean as one wave after another is going to wash over our Lord Jesus. Not just Jewish leaders increasing in their rage against Jesus as he teaches in the temple, but then Jesus washing his, defeat, uh, his disciples' feet in the upper room, initiating the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine representing his bloody death that's impending upon him, and then hours of agony in the garden, praying alone to his father as his disciples are sleeping in terror of the coming cross and yet trusting the father, the wave crashing on Jesus, a close friend betraying him to the Jews and Romans, crash. His closest friends abandoning him at his point of greatest need, crash. Our Lord mocked, falsely accused, then spit upon, whipped, hands nailed, feet nailed, the Son of God taking on the tsunami wave 
of the just wrath of God for sinners on that cross for sinners like you and me. Crash. This certain Jesus. And as 1 Peter 2 tells us, the way that you and I navigate the complexities of the waves of adversity, of suffering that will flow into our lives inevitably as people living in this suffering-filled world. 1 Peter 2 tells us that we would consider Jesus who, while he suffered, entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly. And he did not, it says in 1 Peter 2, lash out in anger, but he maintained his integrity. The way that you and I face wave after wave of adversity with gospel integrity is we keep our eyes fixed not on the waves that are coming and not on the waves that are crashing, but we fix our eyes on a heavenly father who loves us and who is just and who in his time, because he is just, will put all things right for the children he loves. I'll close with this story. When I was in sixth grade, my family visited another beach in the Caribbean. We, I should stop taking vacations, I guess, in the, in, with sandy beaches. And we took a boat and we went to this area called Stingray City. It's just off the coast of this place called the Cayman Islands. And in Stingray City, there's a sandbar. And it's really fascinating because you go for miles in the ocean, deep ocean, then all of a sudden a sandbar, which is sand with like four feet of water. And as a sixth grader, you can kind of jump in and, you know, it's like chest deep or so. And you're having fun. Stingrays are floating by. It's an amazing time. But for some reason, I think there was some storm. I forget the details, but we were far away from the boat. And other people had already gone back. But I was having the time of my life. I mean, there's stingrays. you got to pet stingrays. They're amazing. And I'm having a blast, losing track of time. And lo and behold, what happened was the four feet of water had turned into 10 feet of water. And I'm a sixth grader, and it's not 10 feet of calm water, but now the waves are coming. And it's wave after wave. And as a sixth grader, I'm terrified. As a little boy, I'm thinking I'm going to die. Because I'm struggling for water as the waves are crashing over me. I'm struggling to get a breath and I'm, I'm trying to swim, but I, I can't quite swim and I'm freaking out until the moment I realize there's someone right next to me and it's my dad. And my dad's grabbing a hold of me and he's speaking words to me like, you're gonna be okay. And the waves aren't stopping at that point. It's not like my father being there all of a sudden stops the waves magically. The waves are coming, but my dad's right there and he's holding on to me and he said, you can make this, we're gonna be okay. And the waves are coming and I'm trying to struggle, but I know my dad's there and I know I'll be okay because he's there. Brother and sister, I know the waves are crashing over and it's the second and then the third and then the fourth, but you have a heavenly father who loves you. 
And you have a heavenly father who's given you Jesus, who's gone into the deepest wave for you on that cross. And so you can have confidence to walk forward in the midst of your adversity with integrity because you know Jesus beside you because you have a heavenly father above you who loves you and he's lavishing his love upon you through Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's the God that we know, friends. That is how we move forward with integrity in the midst of all the waves of adversity that are washing over us. Brothers and sisters, just like our Lord Jesus, it says in 1 Peter 2, he moved forward into suffering, trusting his heavenly father. You too, can move forward into the waves because God is right there with you and he's working all things for your good to accomplish his glory. That's how much this certain Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we need this to come home to our hearts by the Holy Spirit right now as we suffer adversity. So please wipe our tears through the mercy of Jesus. Strengthen our hearts. Give us confidence. Give us boldness to walk forward in integrity because of the greatness, the greatness and sweetness of this certain Jesus. Amen.